Welcome to the Your Skipper podcast, bringing you stories from captains and industry professionals working with super yachts, charter boats, and private yachts around the world. Whether your love is sail or power. And now your host, a super yacht captain for over 20 years who has been sailing since he was eight, Cameron Springthorpe. Welcome back to the Your Skipper podcast. Sorry for the long delay since the last episodes. These will be released as and when I get chance. When I was last recording, I was heading out to France to act as the owner's representative for a new catamaran. Sadly, the project was cancelled, but as it turns out, that worked out for the better. We sold our catch and returned home to Scotland just before the lockdown happened. So now, I've had the chance to record a series of a few interviews with friends and skippers from the west coast of Scotland. Today, I'm delighted to introduce one of my best friends and a fellow captain who now lives in Campbelltown. We had a few issues with the sound near the start, but please bear with it, it does improve and he has a great story. So without further ado, Mark, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Okay, what I like to do is just start at the beginning and basically, how did you get into boating? Well, I was brought up in a family that does not go to sea, has no desire for the sea. Apart from going to the seaside, to the beach, they they love doing that. Um, my first memory of uh, of boating was uh, as a as a four year old being taken to see a boat that had been built as a home build, and it was a canal boat. And I remember going to this boat, and the, the two that owned it were living on it. And I remember going down into the saloon area of this boat and seeing it was it was like a house that you could live in and it was so exciting to me the the idea that you could that you could go to sea on a boat that you could live on so that that was certainly a, a very early memory but i i always had a fascination with boats in the sea every cardboard box that i had would at some point turn into a boat so how did you actually get into boating well, uh, I, I remember I got a paper round uh, to buy up to save a boat, which I, I never actually bought because as my savings got bigger, so did the boat that I wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> Was that uh, a mirror dinghy or something? It started off as a mirror dinghy and then uh, it turned into something much bigger that I decided I, I really needed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you had a love for boats from a very young age. What did you study at university? Was that something boat related? No, it was physics. I, oh, I okay. developed a love for physics at school. Oh right! And uh, discovered I could, I guess I discovered I could do the maths, and uh, I had an aptitude for physics. So yeah, uh, yes, it's all. I am always very grateful for the fact I uh, I was able to study uh, and get a degree. But I, but physics itself, I've never used. But it, it really, you you learn how to learn rather than it, it's not just what you learn. So yeah. I've always been able to put those skills. Uh, into uh, into to good use really yeah after I left university I discovered that it was possible to go to sea by uh, putting an advert in a marina and finding people who had a boat who wanted crew and so I I that that was my opportunity that was my opportunity to go to sea so I uh, put an advert in Falmouth Marina Uh, I spent the summer of 1990, after I graduated from university down there, um, lodging with my cousins, uh, looking for a boat to sail away on. 
I found a, a Norwegian sailing yacht uh, called Schwan that year going to northern Spain across the Bay of Biscay. Uh, and, and, uh, but I was a bit short of money having just finished university. <laughs> yes. I found another motor yacht coming back, with, uh, uh, which was uh, a, a delivery. Uh, there was a delivery skipper on board there. Yeah. Uh, and he took me on to bring me back to the UK. Those were my first two real experiences at sea, and uh, it was far from being a dream come true. <laughs> it was probably those two voyages actually were probably the single worst experience of my whole life. The, the weather was incredibly favorable, uh, it wasn't, it certainly was not the weather's fault, but I, I was so seasick, incredibly seasick. The owner of the first boat said he'd never known anyone so seasick. I think for the, the on the first morning, I couldn't open my eyes. I, I must have been completely dehydrated, I suppose. <laughs> but I wanted to sail. So I, I, I kept pursuing the sea. So having returned from Spain that year, that was 1990. With limited funds, I returned uh, to my parents and went to work for a year to save up money to go and do it again. So... Um, the following summer, I went back down to Falmouth uh, found a catamaran, actually, which was about to cross the Atlantic. Okay. That was a very interesting experience. The owner was a complete novice, and he'd, he'd absolutely no idea of the sea. Um, he just sold a small haulage company to buy a boat and, and to sail with his family. So I, I agreed to join him as crew. Better two novices than one. <laughs> so uh, uh, on the promise that he'd buy a life raft because it, uh, it had never actually occurred to him that he would need one. Um, unfortunately, well, it could have been fortunately for me, actually, that he, he turned out to be more of a gangster than, than a businessman. Okay. Um, and, and one night at 5 a.m. I heard him struggling on board with a life raft, <laughs> uh, which he'd stolen from another yacht. So, <laughs> so I left that boat immediately. Yeah. Um, I did actually manage with a few phone calls and a little encouragement and the mention of the police to get the life raft returned to its rightful owner. <laughs> uh, I, but I, obviously I was I was quite disappointed, but realised yeah. it was probably the best, the best not or it wasn't the best boat to be sailing on. Sure. So anyway, um, the the next yacht. Uh, that I found a few weeks later was a little 38 foot sailing yacht owned by a, a, a retired lecturer. He was more or less a novice, right. <laughs> um, but uh, he'd just bought the yacht in Hull and had a plan to sail it to Cyprus. It was uh, full of osmosis and he was going to take it out and have it, uh, have it dried out. Okay. Uh, he was on his own and he wanted a couple of crew. So I, uh, I took one of the berths. Yeah. Um, and we ended up delayed for several months um, living in, in on the boat in Hull, in Hull Marina. Uh, I spent a lot of time during that time uh, with books and charts, learning as best I could, teach myself the basic arts of navigation. Right. Um, I remember Ron had purchased uh, one of the first GPS satellite navigation units uh, which I can't remember how much it must have cost him, but it was it was like a it was a sort of the size of a brick. Yeah. And um, 
but it gave easily plottable chart positions. Uh, and I, I, in the in this safety and calm of the marina, uh, I managed to become quite uh, competent at plotting positions and working out courses and nav plans and that sort of thing. So anyway, the, uh, I think I, I joined the boat in September, I think, and I don't think we sailed until the beginning of December. But the day finally came uh, and it had been it, it had been so long in coming. I think that um, Ron was full of apprehension and uh, anxiety about it, and and in spite of a weather forecast with nearly zero visibility in in the River Humber, um, and really without him having made any navigation plan, um, we set out. Uh, I think we were about 300 yards from the marina before he realized his mistake. Um, uh, the, we literally couldn't see, you know, we couldn't see anything. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't look back and see where we'd come from. Great. Uh, but like a, a true sailor, he grabbed hold of the uh, helm, gritted his teeth and put the engine, in, you know, we, we were going for it. So, but I thought, hang on, where are we going? Because <laughs> he obviously didn't have any idea. So I went down and tried my navigation skills and plotted a course, plotted a position and plotted a course and uh, asked him which direction he was going. Well, it, it turned out he was going upriver and not downriver. So um, I, I actually managed to um, persuade him of that I had plotted a position and that we were in a... It, where I said we were and that we were actually heading up river. So I, I persuaded him to turn the boat round and head at least in the right direction. And it was quite exciting really to, to see the navigation boys um, one by one coming exactly as I'd, um, exactly as my plotted positions were showing they would. Yeah. So that, that was quite reassuring. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, put, we got to the, the entrance to the river. Uh, to the open sea. Uh, unfortunately, that was that was the end of the heroics. <laughs> I was within about twenty minutes over the side again. <laughs> okay. With seasickness. Yeah. I guess I I guess I'm a pretty useless sailor. <laughs> it's funny how many um, how many of my friends and myself, you know, we all get seasick at different in different conditions, and uh, I, I don't think it's yeah. And yet, you know, people landlubbers assume that if you're a sailor you'd never get seasick it's uh yeah it's funny so where did you go with that um, so uh yeah. anyway yes we had an amazing sail round the coast of the uk uh in a biting december north westerly wind i think if i remember rightly down the east coast through the english channel to Fal falmouth uh, again uh, we pulled in there spent christmas there i went home uh, and then rejoined the boat in January. Uh, I said uh, farewell to my fearful parents who were in fear and trepidation of my uh, uh, of what lay ahead <laughs> and assured them that it was fine. Uh, it's a good, strong boat and it would only take 10 days to get to Gibraltar. Uh, unfortunately, we had we didn't have favorable weather. And we did have engine problems. Anyway, on day 17, having told them we were going to be 10 days, uh, we 
got to the Straits of Gibraltar and uh, I remember hearing the call on the yachts VHF uh, Blue Spur, this is Gibraltar Coast Guard. <laughs> and I knew exactly why they were calling. Uh, I think my my poor parents had managed to hold on to the 14th day before they'd called the Coast Guard to report us missing. Yeah, so you right. can imagine their relief when they got a call on day 17 to say that all was well and that we'd actually arrived. We'd yeah. been seen. Uh, they never actually worried again, I don't think. I think that cured them, so it was a good thing <laughs> in the end. Uh, but we arrived in Gibraltar, February 92. It, it, it certainly gave me time to think things over. I, I didn't really feel it was a boat that I wanted to stay on. I didn't, I didn't feel that um, there was quite enough experience. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I left the boat there and spent four months in Gibraltar. I actually, I was on board for uh, three, three weeks once we'd arrived there and got involved with the local uh, Methodist church. They had a, 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 a restaurant that they called the Carpenter's Arms. And okay. I was involved in, uh, in, helping, in helping them out. And uh, after, after three or so weeks, they said, why don't you stay? We'll find you accommodations and you can, you can work here. So, so oh, I right. did. On the understanding that I was, uh, I would take another boat when it came. Yeah. So I spent four months working in Gibraltar, and Gibraltar's an amazing place, really. I absolutely love it. It's got and, so much history and yeah. interest. I know back in, I mean, that was '92. I, I was down there. Um, yeah, around that time, probably a few years after that. And back then, there was just such a great community of, of folk living on the um, on the anchorage there. And yes, yeah, all kinds of people that had made it that far and then no further or um, whatever. And um, I did. I had spent two months there and I enjoyed it, enjoyed it. But uh, I think it's changed quite a bit now with just the you're not allowed to anchor as far as I know, at least um, not underneath the runway like you used to be able to. No, I don't think you are. Yeah. It's a, it, it is a shame. It was a, it was a real uh, gypsy community, wasn't it? Sea gypsy. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then there was different boats which had the different um, skills on board. I remember there was an old fishing boat that was always anchored there and it had a big cargo hold, obviously for fish, but the guy had converted it and put all these tools in there, like um, machinery, machining workshop oh, uh, really so he was doing like all the passing cruising boats welding or you know steel work stainless work and everything and then there was another boat where the um the couple on it where one of them was a hairdresser so you used to go there to get your hair cut and it was like <laughs> everything was <laughs> that's great I, well we lived in the luxury of uh, being alongside in the marina so uh, yeah so, uh, shepherds shepherds marina that's right yes it was yeah and that would have been when the with the drug running or cigarette running was still. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we used yeah. to watch. I remember watching the Spanish helicopters shooting rubber bullets at the uh, speedboats as they were uh, yeah. heading from the marina in Gibraltar with cigarettes to the Spanish to the Spanish coast around yeah. the corner. When I was in um, Jib, they they had a massive clamp down on all the cigarette boats because um, they'd just had a um, a big um, accident because a helicopter was using its float to push the back of one of the boats down or like trying to get them to stop by using the helicopter. Right. And somebody threw a chain up into the blades. Um, and so there was a bunch of people killed. 
Oh wow! Um, no. So I'd... at that point, they clamped down on everything and painted all the all the boats high visibility colours and all that kind of oh, thing. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That I, I knew that it had stopped. I just didn't know what had happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that was the end of it, but that, that was when I was there, that was what had happened, yeah. So after four months in Gibraltar, I found a sailing yacht um, going to Florida. So I joined that. It was a 55-foot uh, sailing yacht, which had been built by the uh, chap who was sailing it. Uh, it was a, he was actually a shipbuilder, so it was a, it was a very nicely built yacht. Um, yeah. And he took me on again as voluntary crew. Uh, we set off mid-June, I think it was, across the Atlantic uh, to go via Madeira, Bermuda, uh, Bahamas to Fort Lauderdale. It was a bit of a zigzag. Uh, yeah. it, it was it was a, a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I did the whole crossing without being seasick, which was obviously a tremendous bonus for me. Yes. Um, I... It was the longest time I think I've ever spent at sea, 19 days from Madeira to Bermuda. Yeah. So it was, it was fairly slow. It, it was a great crossing. I mean, I probably my best memories of being at sea were those early crossings, you know, days and days yeah. on end at sea. Uh, and obviously, for many people, that's their worst nightmare. We were smallish yachts at the mercy of the elements, close to the water. Uh, but the the responsibility of keep keeping watch and you know just learning about things that you don't learn about uh, in at home. Yeah. The weather, just being out there, seeing stars, steering for hours on end on boats that the autopilot doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and and that you know that that feeling that that sound when you leave port and you're motoring out and you turn the engine off and you're just sailing there's nothing really like it is there being yeah driven along by the wind and then there's the heritage of the seafaring tradition isn't it like you were saying you know that the the community uh, of of people who travel by sea arrivals uh, in new harbors and as as a yeah. as a young 20 year old places that i'd only heard about so they they were all incredible memories yeah, I think that's um, in a way that's changed so much now with when you're at sea that you still have almost always an Internet connection of some kind or a satellite phone for emergencies or whatever. You've always got that connection as opposed to really feeling like you're you're kind of out there unless you yes. choose not to have it. But I mean, you know, what boat does that most generally you've got that connection and, yes. and it does it changes the the dynamic of it doesn't it so. yes certainly and these boats were even boats without uh hf radios so i mean yeah we we, we could have arrived uh, and the world could have changed after 19 sure. days you know the last the last six weeks have seen the world changed and and you would always arrive with a certain amount of i wonder what's happened you know phoning home i wonder you know <laughs> i wonder if everyone's everyone's okay and you know and obviously their relief to find out that that you're okay yeah so yeah so your most memorable time at sea um would that be from one of those crossings then do you think yes probably actually the boat the the other the owen 60 was it owen 68 yeah uh that uh, i found in florida 
and sailing back across the Atlantic. Uh, okay. that, that was uh, that was a tremendous sail. Uh, we had our, uh, or I experienced my first hurricane on that boat. Actually, two. Oh, one okay. in one in uh, port in Florida. Uh, that was uh, Hurricane Andrew, 1992. Okay. Uh, that that devastated uh, parts of Florida within 30, 40 miles of where we were. But uh, we we seemed to get off fairly lightly in the area we were. The boat was unharmed. Um, and that boat that boat was being taken across the Atlantic uh, through the Med down the Red Sea to Zanzibar, where it was to be used as a charter yacht. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so was that a centerboard boat as well? Centerboard catch? Yes. Well, it was, uh, it was a half keel. Uh, it, yeah. it, it didn't have the centerboard. Some of them did, but that one didn't. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, people write off Irwins, but um, but I I rate them as uh, in lots of ways. And certainly, I um, yeah. the one that we, we took across the Atlantic, we had some rough weather with it and never felt any concern at all. Yes. Oh, I think it, it was an excellent boat, extremely comfortable. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and we we experienced a hurricane in it. We 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 left Bermuda. We we went from Florida to Bermuda, which was about seven days. We had probably a week in Bermuda and then headed off. Uh, bound for the Azores and uh, hit well the the weather was not as forecast and I think we were about three days out and the the chap who's the skipper um, announced there's a hurricane and we are exactly in its path <laughs> oh, wow. and that night the wind I, I I guess we were probably having steady 40 knot 40 knot winds and that night the wind uh, as the as the sun set was increasing i think we got up to about 80 84 85 knots that Gosh. night uh, i was always quite dis- i think all of my bad weather experiences have been uh, in the dark so i've always been quite disappointed <laughs> never to have actually seen the face of the sea um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was quite an experience. We sat in the cockpit after we'd uh, battened everything down, lashed lashed it all but the smallest bit of sail. Yeah, and uh, I taught them with Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so the we song. did. Yeah, the song. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, and you came through it fine. So you we could. did. We did. Yeah. Okay, so we must be getting up to your navy days now. Um, Tell me about that. How long were you in the Navy and what were you doing? Spent five years in the Navy. Uh, I was what in those days was called a seaman officer, now a warfare officer. Um, and the, the it's the branch that drives ships. So I, I was uh, a officer of the watch on board mine hunters and frigates. Around the UK? Or? Training was uh, obviously at Dartmouth. Yeah. Um, and then during the five years in the Navy, I did deployments between the East Coast of the United States. I joined my first ship there and uh, okay. I left that ship as far east as I ever went with the Navy in the, the Persian Gulf. Okay. So many places between uh, the, my yeah. last ship, we did a deployment to the Black Sea, which was very interesting. 
I took a bicycle, oh. and uh, w- whenever the ship was in port, I would I would cycle 30, 40, 50 miles in the in the evening, and it, it was incredible to be cycling through these places which ten years previously had been closed uh, yeah. due to due to the political situation in which now was suddenly open. It really was um, uh, quite an eye opener. It, it wasn't. It isn't third world by any means, but. Um, but some of the places we were visiting were, um, you know, there were still donkeys pulling carts. So it was, that well, was very yeah. interesting to see. When we met, we realised that we had both worked on similar boats and actually that we'd both even worked on the same boat, um, separated by a year or so. Can you tell me about your experience with Genevieve and how you got involved with her? Yes. Well, my sister Rebecca was involved with the church in Coventry um, and they had been given a boat by uh, a chap who who had built it himself in Zimbabwe uh, inland uh, I don't know how many miles from the sea uh, but it was a it was a 90 foot wooden sailing boat uh, and they'd taken it across land to the Mozambique Channel which must have been a, an incredible feat of engineering. Uh, yeah. They'd launched it there and sailed it up to uh, Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Now, it was a, it, it was a boat that uh, he wanted to use for some sort of Christian work, and he donated it to this church. And uh, they, they got in touch with me and asked if I would be willing to take it to the Mediterranean from where it was in Dar es Salaam. So I just left the Navy. So I, I got together a, a group of people. I think there were six crew. Uh, they, I think I was the only one who had ever been to sea. So uh, I flew out to Dar es Salaam uh, and we met the group there and the owner of the boat and the, the folk who were from the church. And uh, in two or three days, no, it's probably more like a week. We got the boat ready uh, to sail. And we left, headed for the Mediterranean. It, it was a boat really for trade winds, wasn't it? It sailed very well downwind. Uh, yes. But, yeah. But yeah, she passage, wasn't very, very deep for her length, was she? So. No, she wasn't. Uh, so the passage to the Mediterranean was quite interesting. The first leg up to the Horn of Africa was uh, was a great downwind sail, but the the Red Sea we had uh, we had headwinds all the way up. That was quite a, a, a quite a battle to get to get the the boat up the Red Sea. Uh, we did have yes. an we did have a bit of an experience. Uh, it, it was the time before the piracy had really kicked off around the Horn of Africa, and the the debate. Uh, in my mind, was whether to go around the outside of Socotra or to go between Socotra and the mainland. And uh, I decided that because uh, it, because generally it was a fa- it, at that time it was a fairly safe seaway to cut between Socotra and the mainland, particularly because the we had such strong winds, and I reasoned that nobody could get anywhere near us in the in the height of the sea that we were experiencing. Um, but as we as we went through the uh, the gap between Socotra and the mainland, the wind dropped completely, 
and we were almost becalmed. And we had to do the rest of the passage to Aden under engine. The day after we got into Aden, uh, uh, another boat came in that had lost one of its crew to pirates. Oh, shit. Uh, an English chap had been shot on board. So we, you know, and I think actually they'd gone through the Strait of Socotra uh, a few hours before we had. Actually, Lizzie was at home when, after we'd gone through the Straits of Socotra. And uh, she, before we reached Aden, she'd heard a BBC news item on the morning news saying that a, a sailor had been, a British sailor had been killed by pirates going through the Straits of Socotra. Oh, no. So when I phoned that night, uh, she was uh, relieved to hear me. <laughs> yeah. Shucks, I can imagine, yeah. And she had a, a, a quite a small engine for the size of boat, if I remember. So, yes, uh, with headwinds all the way up the Red Sea, that must have been yeah a slog. With, and with headwinds, and uh, the 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 hull itself had a particular motion, and the pitching was really um, terrible going up the Red Sea. The 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 right. the, the, w- the way the boat pitched would uh, increase with each wave until the propeller would come out of the water. So yeah. every five or six waves, we would be uh, the, the propeller would be popping out, and we, at points we could only make uh, two or three knots, if sure. that. So that was quite a passage. The weather generally was, you know, we didn't have any storms, we didn't have any uh, anything uh, serious on that passage, but it was uh, it was quite a passage going through the. Yeah going through the Suez Canal. How long did it it take you then, do you think, from um, all the way from Africa up to to Greece? I think in total we were sailing for about six, you know, with stops, six weeks. We stayed for a while in Aden. Uh, We stayed, we went into Port Sudan uh, and then we had uh, a short stop in Egypt. But of course, with visas, you can't leave the boat. Right. Okay. Wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so and then that must have been. Uh, did you say ninety nine or two thousand? That or was nineteen ninety nine. Yes, that was just after I'd left the navy. Okay, because then I joined the boat in. Uh, I think the back end of two thousand or maybe two thousand and one. I think. How was of... it as soon as that? It was. Okay, yeah. It was a year after you took her to Greece. Mm. I I went out and took over then. Yeah. When, when did you get involved with um, super yachting in the Med? When I left the Navy, it was uh, partly because uh, I, I had friends with families and they uh, they were doing nine-month deployments and then going away for uh, for the three months they were they were back. So, I, you know, it, it's not uh, – it wasn't the life that I wanted if ever I was to meet and marry – Sure. Um, and so I I decided that uh, five years was a good time to leave. So I uh, handed my notice in with the intention of uh, with the intention of going into super yachting. OK. Uh, I had been out of the Navy about a month when I met Lizzie. So that was uh, that, that was something I hadn't expected. I have a cousin whose wife um was keen that I should meet her best friend. 
Okay. So they set us up, and that and Lizzie was living in Oxford, so uh, Tidworth was about halfway between, and uh, they, they invited Lizzie for uh, a meal one night when I was staying for the weekend. They set us up. Oh, well, good for them. Yeah. They obviously knew what they were doing. During that time, I was working in the outdoor activity centre in Dorset, and at the same time looking for a, a, a way in to yachting. Uh, it was then that the church was given Genevieve um, because I'd always thought that perhaps uh, one day I would uh, be involved in some sort of Christian uh, Christian ministry, Christian work of some sort. So, yeah. So I I got in touch with them for that reason really, and obviously it was a boat. It was something that uh, that I had a skill in. So uh, uh, it, in the end, I I only ended up delivering it to Greece and didn't go beyond that, but continued to apply um, through various means, through various um, agencies to work on superyachts. And then I had a friend who, uh, actually the chap who was the skipper of the motorboat that I'd come on from uh, Spain the very first year that I'd ever gone to sea. Um, And I was still in touch with him. And he just turned down the job on a motor yacht. 90, 90 foot moti, 95 foot moti yacht right. um, that was being built in Taiwan and uh, it, it, he, he put us in touch with the, with the owners of that and uh, we went for an interview and Lizzie and I together I'd persuaded her to leave teaching and we went for an interview and were very pleased to be offered the job so where does the lovely 41-metre catch Anna Christina come into the picture? Uh, Anna Christina uh, came along, that was 2002 we left at nine. We joined her in 2003 and the last, uh, the last work I did uh, on her was 2018. Okay. So yes, that was a... Uh, yeah. Although uh, we were working full time four years uh, sailing with them. Uh, subsequent to that, we were just doing short uh, captain relief jobs, winter refits, that sort of thing. So yeah. it wasn't a. So it was it was only a full time job for the first four years. You certainly worked on a wide variety of vessels. Any that you would say were your favourite out of them all? You get to love every boat that you work on. Uh, yeah. There's there are all sorts of boats that you end up really enjoying for, for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, you know, sometimes it's where you go with them. Sometimes it's, um, it, it's the, the, the folk you meet on them. The, yes, which is the most interesting boat. I, um, it, it would be very difficult to, to say any was more interesting than another. I, I really enjoyed, uh, working on bigger, motor yachts the the two years that i was involved with the fed ship uh, kingdom come were just amazing uh, amazingly yeah. interesting times great crew really enjoyed spending the time with them uh, yeah. and the and it really had a great owner to work for and um, just enjoyed yeah. enjoyed the time on it 
she's one of the classics which are just in my mind one of the best fed ships are just it's such a lovely shape to her isn't it it's, uh, yeah um, she was built in 1976 i think vintage year 1976 oh yes is that the year you were born by any chance <laughs> funnily enough yeah she, she was 60 meters or so is that about 60 right? meters yes with yeah. a crew of 17 so yeah lots to keep busy yes keep busy yeah. and it, just to, um th- those navy skills uh you know running running a boat really came to the fore sure on a boat like that i can imagine yeah i came and visited one time in palma for um for a coffee and uh she just was lovely boat yeah so, yes yeah, very envious so that brings us up to the current day what's your um position now well i am currently working in Campbelltown, Scotland, as a Baptist minister. So well, so work out the connection. Change. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a change. I mean, obviously, your your faith is very important to you. There was one time when I thought that I could never really be happy unless I was going to sea. I mean, I really do yeah. love the sea. Um, but I really have discovered in the last 10 years that um, that we are meant to be satisfied in our creator. And, and really that God has created the sea and he's created the, the, the planet and, the, and nature and all sorts of things to give us pleasure. But the reason he's created them is to point us to his goodness and uh, ultimately yeah. uh, you know ultimately we can chase all kinds of things to find satisfaction but satisfaction can only be found in knowing the creator we've been created to know yeah. and uh, and really that is uh, something that is not intuitive at all but i have really discovered it and learnt it over these past 10 years, really, because uh, because eight years, well, no, 10 years ago now, um, when our little girl was born, uh, we went back to Mallorca, uh, and I've been doing this sort of part-time um, uh, yacht work, uh, captain relief jobs and short deliveries and that sort of thing, um, whilst I've been doing a an apprenticeship in a small English language church in Mallorca. So, uh, so it is, it's over that 10 years really that I have discovered really the joy of being where, where the Lord wants me. And I certainly absolutely hate public speaking. I hate uh, having to stand up in front of people or, or I, I always have, and it's always been a dread of mine really, but you know, the pleasure has grown I've just really felt that this this is where the Lord wants us to be. So, so I did this Great. eight year really with the idea of doing an apprenticeship as a pastor in Mallorca, with the with really with the desire to come back to the UK at some point and serve a fellowship of Christians here. It's great that you that you have that and that you found that. I mean, the whole of the Subiot industry you see so much that uh, people are, are looking for 
something and they think that it's the answer is in in a bigger boat or a better boat or um another house or whatever it is and yet you know we've both you and i've had the the opportunity to kind of see that industry from the inside out and also see just that um people aren't actually satisfied with just the next boat and that only sort of um scratches the itch for a little while and they realize that there's something else yes missing so um, yes uh, and but you know i'm as uh, as guilty of that deception as as sure. as the next person there was nothing wrong with going to sea but the wrong is to believe that that sea will satisfy to believe that uh, that things that gifts that god has given us will uh, ultimately make us happy and to chase them and i i've been a christian since i was four yeah. When I was four years old, I uh, I had parents that had taught me uh, about Jesus. They were they were full time Christian workers uh, working in in children's work, doing holiday clubs and and beach uh, beach missions as they called them. Uh, so I I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus is King. But I remember lying in bed one night as, uh, when I was four and just realizing if Jesus is King, I need to decide what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I and I prayed and I said, Lord, I, I put my life in your hands and, uh, and, and I want to serve you. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's that's something that I've never been sorry about. I've always been so grateful for the fact that I've grown up knowing Jesus. And I've always known that he's Lord, but when he... <laughs> When I really felt that he was, uh, uh, you know, that, that I needed to pursue sharing him with others, uh, I, I didn't want to. Because, as I say, I just couldn't imagine really being happy not going to sea. And, of course, we all know the dissatisfaction of seeking things which don't satisfy. And, and, I, and I knew all about that. But, you, but it, still, we, we seek them, don't we? <laughs> And then, yeah. um, and, and then, and uh, then, and then we're surrounded by others, by other people, uh, particularly, yeah, particularly in in an industry which uh, serves the very wealthy. Yeah. Um, that look, everything I'm chasing here is ultimately going to be lost. Everything that we that we that we work for at, on Earth is subject to futility oh, oh, one point in our lives at the end of our lives we're going to have to say right that's it and even on the way to that point it doesn't satisfy so uh, that's that's something that i had to learn and i think i have to learn every day i i love cycling but hours on a bike uh, are what i'm inclined to do you know that hours and hours and hours and but the key thing is to be able to enjoy them without making them more important than the creator who's given them to us. I can relate to that. Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing um, all of that. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's just great seeing that you are where you believe you, you're meant to be and um, where yeah. you believe God wants you to be and, um, and seeing how happy you are as a family. And, yeah. uh, and it's also great having you um, a little bit closer, although at the moment we can't, um, enjoy visiting we'll uh, be back to that soon yes yeah soon thank you mark thank you for for taking the time and um, and chatting with us today it's been great that's a pleasure cameron 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Your Skipper podcast from yourskipper.co.uk. For show notes or to contact Cameron directly, please visit yourskipper.co.uk.